0: You are listening to The Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. Well, this morning we're going to continue our Family Matters series. Uh, We've talked about family matters, the idea that uh, it matters to God, that it's important. It was God's idea from the very beginning uh, to have family. Uh, We also said that family matters represents the family matters, the family issues that are in our families. And uh, we understand that uh, life is not always smooth. It, there are bumps in the road, and there are issues that kind of come up, and we need to face those with, uh, with the Lord's help, and we need to keep God at the center of all of our family matters. We have uh, spent two weeks after our introduction talking about marriages, and we looked at the idea that uh, marriage is a covenant relationship. And we looked at the idea that there's this uh, picture of God's essence seen in marriage. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, a husband, wife, and with God in the mix, it's a covenant relationship. Three in one, not two in one. Remember, we talked about that. And then last time we were together talking about family matters, we looked at the classic idea of love and respect And we said, and we looked at this energy cycle saying, look, if his love uh, is perfect or if we're working towards uh, a guy loving his wife, that will cause his wife to respect him. And if a wife says, you know what, I'm going to respect my husband, that will help her husband love her. And it's an energizing cycle. And we looked at this and we said, All right, yeah, that sounds good. And if this energy cycle isn't the picture in your situation, how does it change? We don't pray for your spouse to, Lord, change him or her. The idea was, Lord, change me, help me to love, help me to respect, and then that cycle can be changed. I just also want to mention that there are resources online. If you go to the gatewaygh.com where, we where we've added lots and lots of things. I mean, we could spend a month or two just talking about marriage. We're not going to do that. Um, but there are lots of resources in regards to the Family Matters series uh, that are online. I hope that you're taking advantage of those things. So today we're going to uh, move on to a new topic. And I'm excited about this. I've been excited for several weeks knowing that this is coming. Uh, We're going to talk today about singleness. Turn to your neighbor and say, singleness. Yeah, that's right. And the target here is much larger than you might expect. The target audience. More than 50% of the adult population in North America is single. By contrast, the year that I was born in 1976 I know that was a long time ago 37 percent were single then. Now it's 54 percent, or just right just below 54 percent in North America. And what's interesting about that is that only 23 percent of the 54 percent, if you're tracking with me, are active churchgoers. And so we're missing a whole uh, a part of, uh, of the population uh, in many churches. One poll said that the number of married Americans is at a low point since at least 1920. And some believe that it's even as low, uh, it goes all the way back to the 1600s, it hasn't been this low. And not only is it a large population, and when you look at the lakeshore and look at your workplace and you look at... Your neighborhood and look at your families. There are a lot of singles. But when we talk about singles, it's a group with tremendous diversity. Mm -hmm. Think about it with me. There are so many stages and seasons in in an adult singles' life. So many. You could look at a teenager, like my daughter, 18 years old, a single adult, or a single adult in their 20s, 30s, 40s. You put them up against someone that maybe has uh, lived uh, a few more years that has lost a loved one, a widow or a widower. They're still single. Or you have a single parent that once was married, has kids, and now is uh, a single parent. Or just the, the person that was once married and now is divorced. When you talk about singles, it is, there's a wide variety here, and, uh, and it's, it's interesting. And if we're honest with ourselves as a church, historically and traditionally, uh, we have had difficulty ministering to singles. And that's hard to say sometimes because you think, boy, we want to hit everybody, but it's difficult when it comes to single adults, young adults, middle-aged adults, and older adults. But singles are an important part of the family are you with me the family is made up of single adults and that includes the church family as well and my prayer is not that you sit there today and say oh i'm so glad pastor ben is uh preaching about singles uh how that's a nice thing to do (laughs) right or I don't want you to think, well, what do you know about singleness? And I, I, I'll just tell you, I have not been single since I was 19, so it's been a few years. It's not so important what I think, but we want to bring a biblical perspective, a biblically-based uh, message here. Otherwise, we'd be just wasting our time. Isn't that the truth? But my prayer is that if you're single today, that the message today will be a tremendous blessing to you. If you're married here today, I don't want you to tune out because what we're going to talk about is a message that you can take and you can herald and share with others to bring encouragement to the singles in your life. We all know someone who's single and my prayer again is that we would have a better integration that we'd be able to, as a church, provide community um, and that we'd understand singleness in a better fashion. There are challenges, there are also benefits, and in a family-focused church, it has to include singles, and so Lord, help us in that. And I want to turn to God's Word to kind of bring this perspective, and the area in Scripture that I've been uh, just drawn to is 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I want you to turn with me there. And uh, if you were with us a few years ago, we preached through the book of 1 Corinthians. And it took us about three or four weeks, I didn't go back and look, but most likely four weeks to get through the book, or through the chapter 7, and uh, as we were expositorily preaching through the the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, But just as a way of brief Background, I want to give you a sense of what's happening here uh, at this point. Uh, Paul had ministered to the Corinthian church, he was passionate, he loved the Corinthians uh, deeply. Um, he it was a there was a this conversation between Paul and the church. There were actually several letters. The uh, 1 Corinthians is actually not the first letter. Uh, most historians believe, and that there was a uh, conversation back and forth. Although in Scripture we see one side of that, right? It's kind of like the, the uh, a telephone conversation where you only hear one side of the conversation. But we see Paul's encouragement that to a pagan culture, the Corinthians were. were found themselves in this situation that was totally pagan, totally secular, um, very much like the American culture today, I would say. Um, there was a lot of sexual perversion. Uh, there was a lot of prostitution. Uh, there were a lot of issues kind of like we're talking about in our family matters series and uh, and he's answering some questions. We see that in verse one. It says, now for the matters that you wrote about. So he received some letter a letter with some questions and now he's responding in the first six verses of chapter seven uh, there he talks about, uh, this idea of a lot of immorality uh, is being identified even within the church. He, uh, Paul ad- addresses the idea of sexual relationships with uh, your spouse uh, as a marital duty and not to deprive one another uh, unless it's by mutual consent for a short time. Uh, when we come to verse 6, it says, uh, I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried. So now he's addressing not the married folks, but the unmarried, the singles, and the widows. I say this, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion." Then the chapter continues in uh, verses 10 through 24. He's speaking about the married life. He talks about separation and divorce a little bit. He talks about uh, a believing spouse versus an unbelieving mate. Uh, And then he encourages the church folks to stay just like they are, just as God has called them. And then in verse 25, we pick up with the idea of singleness again. Let's look at it. Now about virgins or about singles I have no command from the Lord but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy and then here he goes he lays out his idea or God's idea because of this present crisis I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is are you pledged to a woman do not seek to be released are you free from such commitment do not look for a wife but if you do marry you have not sinned and if a virgin marries she is she has not sinned but those who marry will face many troubles in this life and i want to spare you this in verse 29 through 31 in the next few verses he talks about some of those troubles in the world and and he kind of makes some correlation there and then in verse 32 he picks it back up. He says, "I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a man, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord." in both body and in spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of the world, how she can please her husband, and rightfully so. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Let's continue. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but under control, uh, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if a woman but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the spirit of God. Let's pray. Lord, Your word is uh, so insightful. It brings understanding and knowledge in areas where we need to be sharpened. And Lord, today I pray, as we talk about singleness in particular, God, I pray that your, your spirit and your word would ring loud and true that it would be ministering to us, that it would bring a, a, just a peace and a joy and, Lord, a blessing to every single hearer here. Lord, we thank you for this, and we give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Over the next few minutes, I want to just talk about four points, four comparisons, four truths that we can find in Scripture in regards to singleness. And I'd like to, uh, to take singleness and kind of match it up against marriage in each of these instances. The first idea is that both singleness and marriage are good. They're both good. Marriage first, let's talk about that. From an Old Testament perspective, when you look at Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we see that from the very beginning of time, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that God created the idea of marriage. In chapter 1, verse 28, he told Adam, Be fruitful and multiply. He says to fill the earth, and the way that happens is through marriage. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, God blesses Adam and Eve when the two become one in a covenant relationship. If you fast forward in Genesis to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, uh, let's look at that uh, briefly. Together, Turn with me there. We see that Abraham is blessed, uh, and he is, uh, it's the call of Abraham, and it says this, that the Lord has said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And then look at verse 3 in particular. It says, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The way that happens was through procreation, through people being married, and there was a blessing attached to that. When barrenness was seen, there was always a tension. When a when a husband and wife could not bear a child, or there was a season of infertility in Scripture, in the Old Testament in particular, there was a lot of tension. We think of Sarah who struggled who, with Rachel who struggled. We see that even at the end of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 48, uh, verse 16, there's a blessing. The prayer here is made they increase greatly on the earth. And the idea is that a marriage was what was expected, and it certainly was seen in a positive light. One negative is Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 6 that if a family was unable to have a child, it was actually seen as a serious negative, as being uh, a very, uh, very negative, uh, a bad situation. Uh, Old Testament singleness was more undesirable, certainly, than the New Testament, as we'll see. It was kind of reserved for eunuchs or for widows or those that were divorced. And in all those circumstances, it was a negative perspective. But when we come to the New Testament, we get a whole new picture of singleness from Paul. Let's look at it where we read in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 8. He says, but now to the unmarried and to the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. Paul was saying, look, this is the way I am, and it's good to do this. This idea really started with some prophecy back in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53 was a prophecy of Jesus that Jesus, who, by the way, was single, and we'll talk about that in a second, uh, it was prophesied that through Jesus, there would be spiritual offspring, not physical offspring, but sp- a spiritual reproduction, uh, that, an idea of a spiritual regeneration. In Isaiah 54, it, it actually says, if you are a barren, if you're single, that your spiritual offspring would be even greater. And then in Isaiah 56, it's talking specifically to eunuchs that they could have spiritual offspring as well. And now Paul here in 1 Corinthians brings this idea that singleness is good. Singleness is good for the sake of the kingdom of God. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. In a section where Jesus is talking about divorce and the Pharisees are asking Jesus about divorce. Um, he he kind of lays out some things that Moses permitted divorce. Um, in verse 10 of Matthew chapter 19, the disciples said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and a wife, is it better not to marry? So the, the Pharisees are saying, look, if, uh, if you know, there's issues and if, uh, if they're going to get divorced anyway, wouldn't it be better for them not to get married, and you would think that Jesus would say, Oh no, no, marriage is good, but look at what he says. He says, Not everyone can accept this word. What word is he talking about? What he's about to say. But only those whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there were are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. Everybody says, ouch, right? And there are those who choose, listen, to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And then look what he says. The one who can accept this should accept it. Singleness is good, according to Jesus, for the sake of the kingdom. And if you flip just a a chapter or two over to Matthew chapter 22... Verse 30, we know, by the way, that marriage is temporary at best in every situation. Because at the resurrection, look what it says, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. I have sad news, but for those of us that are married, we will not be married in heaven. (laughs) It's kind of sad, I mean... But we're not going to be sad. It's just the way it is. We don't understand it all. But marriage, it's a shadow. It points to Christ. But it's temporary. It's a mist. And what Paul's saying here is that marriage and singleness is good according to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And by the way, uh, we're in the Old Testament. uh, Those that were single were much less highlighted. Um, Singleness is actually lifted up in the New Testament. Think about all the singles. Uh, I made a short list here. John the Baptist was single. Jesus, of course, was single. Uh, and, And the key there is he lacked nothing. And I believe that singles in our culture can lack nothing as well if they're focused on the Lord. Uh, Paul was single, uh, whether he was married at one point or not, that's de- uh, up to, for debate. Um, Silas was single. Luke was single. How about a few ladies? Lydia was single. Uh, it mentions Philip's unmarried daughters. And, uh, and all of these were seen in a very positive life. Both are good. To, and to overemphasize one, singleness over marriage would be unbiblical, I believe. The second thing I want to focus on is that both singleness and marriage not only are good, but they both portray the gospel. We talked about this two weeks ago uh, when we talked about Ephesians chapter 5, that the gospel is seen in the marriage picture, the covenant, the oneness that is is seen, and you might read that and you say, boy, uh, is, is there something less with singles? And the answer is absolutely not. A Christian's ultimate identity is in Christ. Catch this with me. If you are in Christ, you are complete. You're satisfied completely in Christ. That's what we're talking about here. Then the idea is here that if you are in Christ, you are perfect. You do not need a man, ladies, to complete you. And guys, you do not need a woman to complete you. A husband or a wife is not necessary to have this picture of the gospel. Only Christ is necessary. Amen? And yes, it is good. It's not good for man to be alone. Scripture says that. But we are not alone. If you're here and you are single, not married in any way. And I'm not talking about you're dating. I mean, not saying, oh, I'm not single. No, you're single if you're not married. Uh, it says you're not, it, it's not good for man to be alone, but we're not alone. We are a family. And don't forget that our eternal identification is with the church. We're going to spend an eternity together as singles. Think about it what 1 Corinthians 12 talks about. It talks about the body of Christ. In verses, starting in verse 12, it says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. If you're in Christ, you are part of the gospel story. You're a part of the body of Christ. Now, there are different members And all have different purposes, none greater than the next. Look what verse 15 says. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not not for that reason stop being part of the body. Or if an ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. Verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? I would like to reinterpret those verses. It's a, if you put here, now if a married person should say, because I am not single, I do not belong to the body, it would not be for that reason that they'd stop to be part of the body. Or if a single person should say, because I'm not married, I don't belong to the body. Wouldn't we see that as a problem? Verse 17, the whole body, if the whole body were single, for example, where would the sense of marriage be? Or if the whole body were married, where would the sense of single be? I've taken some liberty here, right? But are you you tracking with me? It doesn't make sense. We're all part, we we join together. Look at verse 18, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body Every one of them, single, married, just as He wanted them to be. If they were not all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. That brings a peace to me that whatever situation you find yourself in, you're part of the body of Christ. Listen, our relationships with Christ. Believers is eternal. It's the gospel story. In the Old Testament, where singleness was avoided, uh, now singleness is advantageous for many, according to Scripture, for the kingdom's sake. Plus, we will be single for eternity, as we already mentioned. And I like what one commentator said. Yes, the Old Testament says to be fruitful and to multiply, And that is dependent on marriage. Are you with me? But he goes on to say, the New Testament, the command is to make disciples of all nations. The Great Commission. And how many know that is not dependent on marriage? And there is an eternal heritage to be found, even singleness, because of singleness, he goes on to say. We see the gospel story in singleness, and in marriage. The third thing, I got to move on here quick. (coughs) The third is both singleness and marriage are God's gifts. Now, I'm going to pause here for a second. I wanted to start with this one in my preparation, and Rachel Nellis, who is single, uh, she's a single adult who cares for our kids in the back, she's our, our children's director, she said, pastor, if you talk about singleness being a gift, all the singles are going to tune out. And I'm like, okay. And I'm trying to like listen. And I'm like, I came back at her. I had my notes in front of me. We were talking about it as a staff. I said, but Dr. Tony Evans says, many Christian singles are missing out on the benefits of singleness, hoping for marriage. And uh, it's a gift. And um, she says, I know what the Bible says, <laughs> but if you say that, they're just going to tune out. But let me just remind you what it says in verse 7, in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. It says, I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, singleness, one another being marriage in the context here. They're both a gift from the Lord. Now, I got married when I was 19 years old and if you look at the context of first corinthians 7 you might discern why i got married i'm just saying and you can kind of dig in and uh right right yeah yeah you know what i'm talking about some of you but i remember in college after i was married hearing some of the single guys around talking about this verse like do you have the gift of singleness as if it was a plague if you know what i mean it was like the hot potato game that no one wanted to end up with the potato that was hot because it would burn you, right? The idea was like, man, I don't want that gift of singleness. I mean, I would, I'm just saying that's the way the guys were in the late 1990s, and I'm not sure if it is the way it is today. My guess is it's the same, but uh, the, it, it was a gift. It's almost like it's a white elephant gift, like <laughs> the gift that nobody wants, singleness. And then the guys would be like well, how would you know if this was your gift? And they're saying, oh, Lord, let it not be. (laughs) And the point here is that it's a gift, catch this, for the season that you're in. Where you find yourself today, singleness is a gift. It may not be your gift forever, but wherever you find yourself, it should be a gift. And the question is, will you delight in that? Or are you going to be frustrated with your singleness? If you're married, and you say, well, yes, it's a gift. I have a helper. I have a helpmate. If that's the case, don't try to get out of that. If you're single and you're, you're saying, all right, this is a gift, don't try to get married, is what Paul would say. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, looking at the context here as a whole, the whole chapter, there's a serious idea Here, woven within about being content with where you are. Being content. Come on. Look at this. Verse 17 says, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned uh, to them, just as God has called them. This idea, delight where you are. It goes on, verse 20, each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Verse 24, brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. One more, verse 27 says, Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. The idea here, again, is to delight wherever you are. There's this idea that you should have a deep trust in the sovereignty of God for your life. I was thinking about it. If you were married and then lost a spouse, which I know there are some here that that would relate to, God, God is still good in those circumstances that singleness can be a gift even there. I'm reading a book right now uh, by Jeff Grinnell, the, the pastor that planted this church. Um, he released a book a couple weeks ago uh, called Hashtag If Job Had Twitter, talking about the story of Job and relating that to his life. And uh, if you know Jeff Grinnell, he lost his wife to cancer and uh, just tragic, And uh, but he talks about this idea and how he has turned that around and has seen some benefit at this point in his life. He would never uh, wish for Jane to have gone through what she went through, but there is a gift there, and I appreciate that about Jeff Grinnell. and, And in his book, it's seen loud and clear. The idea here, church, is a contentment, that there's a deep enjoyment of the grace of God wherever you find yourself. And there are examples as I was studying this, of missionaries that highlighted this gift. I want to just read two examples. One missionary in Kenya, a lady, her name is Rena Taylor. She says this, says, Being single has meant that I am free to take risks that I might not take where were I a mother of a family dependent on me. Being single has given me freedom to move around the world without having to pack up a household first. And this freedom has brought to me moments that I would not trade for anything else this side of eternity. And so she sees it as a gift. A a male missionary, Trevor Douglas, I'm not sure where he's serving, but he said this, the first advantage of being single is that it's best adapted to perilous situation in rugged life, among pri- uh, primitive tribes, in gr- gorilla-infested areas, in a disease or in a famine area. The single man has only himself to worry about. Paul claims that being single and male best fits the shortness, uh, the shortness of the time, the idea that the, these times are perilous, it says in First Corinthians chapter 7. Doing God's work is a momentary thing. All of our life is like a mist. It's just here and then gone. Uh, Advantages and opportunities come and go very quickly, and the single lifestyle enables one to give the most out of the time God gives to His work. You see the gift, the perspective, the contentness here in these two missionaries' stories? That whatever state you find yourself in, it's a gift from the Lord, whether married or single. There's a fourth one, and this is really the kicker, and we've got a couple minutes to get there. Is the idea is that both singleness and marriage are for God's glory. Listen to this. Both present us with unique challenges, whether you're married or single. Both with unique opportunities. Both with unique rewards. How many would agree with me? The question is, how... Are you going to handle the state that you're in, the situation that you are in? If you're married, you should not say, I would be better off if I was single, because you're married. And if you're single, you should not be going around, I would be better if I were married. The point is don't squander either reality. And if your identity is caught up in your spouse as a married person, how many know your perspective is not God at the center? Or if your perspective, your identity is caught up in your kids, things get out of line. Or if your identity is caught up in your singleness, by nature of your singleness, I would say that's wrong. Or if it's caught up in your work or in your friends, all of these would be a wrong priority in regards to your identity first corinthians chapter 7 when it comes to verse 33 or 32 through 35 it talks about this that our affections should be undistracted look at what verse 35 says and you can go ahead and skip forward to 35 if, if it's not up there it says i am saying this for your own good not to restrict you but that you may live in a right way In undivided devotion to the Lord. No matter what circumstances you find yourself in, the point is that we should be living with Christ as a priority. How can we maximize this? We maximize it with our key verse for this entire series found in Psalm 127. Psalm 127, verse 1, let me remind you what it says. Unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord builds the family, the home, the builders labor in vain. Your life, if the Lord is not at the center, is vanity. Now, some would say, well, I have a preference for singleness. And if that's the case, it should be kingdom-based. For the, kingdoms, for the kingdom of God to advance because of your singleness. And some would say, well, I have a preference to be married. That should be kingdom-based as well. Are you with me? That you would only get married to someone so you're more effective to advance the kingdom. Yeah. Otherwise, stay single. Now, if your preference was, well, I want to be single... I'm just going to hold off because until my career gets going or until I get out of debt or so I can travel the world or that I don't want to be tied down. If that's your preference, I would say you have a wrong perspective because our lives are not our own. If you have Christ in your heart, we are to live for Christ. To die is the gain. We, it's all about Jesus. To seek first his kingdom, to keep Christ at the center, and to be content in the process. And so where should we find ourselves, whether single or married? We should find ourselves studying the word, praying, being leaders, serving the Lord as he sees fit. For those of you that are single, your contentedness should not, you know, what's attractive to a potential mate, it's not the kind of truck that you drive or how big your biceps are or how beautiful your hair looks or what your bank account looks like. No, a man or a woman who loves and seeks Jesus is what is attractive. Amen? That should be the priority. We should live our lives for the glory of God period and that's what i believe the lord has for us to challenge us this morning i'm gonna ask pastor bobby to come and we're gonna just kind of take a look within ourselves saying no matter what circumstances i found myself in whether single or married whether i'm a young adult single middle-aged adult single been married and lost a spouse and single or I'm married in some com- capacity where is my perspective am i living for Christ am i keeping him as a priority let's pray lord i pray that in these next few moments that we as we take a look within i pray that you would speak loud and clear right to our hearts, right to our souls in regards to our situation, whether we're single or married. Lord, I pray that this idea of keeping you first will bear much fruit in the lives of everyone that's here and that we could take this message and share it with others. who maybe struggle with their identity, who struggle with the situation that they found themselves in. And Lord, I pray that you just minister to us here in these next few moments. Bring us close to you for your glory, for your honor, in Jesus' name. With your head bowed and eyes closed, if you're here this morning, and if you don't know the Lord as your personal Savior, Everything I'm talking about starts with a relationship with Jesus. It starts with accepting Jesus as your personal Savior. We call it salvation. Because the Bible describes our sinful state that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one here that's righteous. There's no one here that can make it into heaven on their own. We need Jesus to cover our sins. And like we saw earlier in communion, it's the blood of Jesus that covers our sins. And if you're here today and you're saying, I need that blood of Jesus to cover my sins. I need salvation. I'm just going to ask that you would raise your hand right where you are. And uh, no one's looking around. I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to call you out. Who here, first service, is going to respond and say, you know what, I need to get my life right with Jesus. I don't know Jesus as my personal Savior. Is there anyone here? Just lift your hand so I can see it. Anyone at all? Okay. Just give you another quick second, just sensing that the Lord might be working. Thank you, Lord. Okay. I don't see any hands. Let me get your eyes back on me for a moment here. The way I'd like to close is with a commitment to the Lord. An anthem. We sang the song earlier, You Can Have It All, and I want to reprise that, and Pastor Bobby's going to lead us here momentarily. But I'm curious how many of us At times, we can get dissatisfied with the situation that we might find ourselves in. It's human nature, isn't it? Wondering if the grass is greener on the other side. Wouldn't it be better if I was just single again? Or wouldn't it be better if I was married? And I want you to see that those ideas, those thoughts, apart from keeping God at the center and advancing his kingdom. If that's the priority, it's okay. Otherwise, it's the enemy messing with your mind. And I believe that this morning, there may be a family or two, a situation where there's a relationship, where the enemy has been attacking your marriage, saying, you know what? It'd be better if you never lived together again. If you separated, if you were divorced, if you made that marriage, just annulled it all together. And I just want to speak to those situations. The situation where you find yourself, according to Paul, is to stay there for the glory of God. Make it work. Do the hard work. And so I'll talk to the married people first that may be struggling. God is in it, and He will help you if you surrender. And going back to last week, saying, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. But I also want to speak to the many, many singles that are here today. There's a lot of singles here today. The enemy would also come in and say, you are not complete unless you're with a man or or unless you're with a woman. And I want you to see that as the enemy messing with your mind. And I want to encourage you to be content right where you are for the kingdom's sake, the kingdom of God to advance. If you're here in either of those situations, as we sing this song, I want you to make it personal. If you're struggling with your identity, singleness, or on the married side, as we reprise this song, I want you to just make it personal and say, God, You can have all of me, every part. And with that, I want you to stand. And Pastor Bobby, would you lead us? And I want you just to just press in and make this song personal in this regard. Amen. There's a whole nother message on singleness, a ton of notes that I was kind of heading towards, just in how we as a church relate to those that are single And uh, maybe we'll put those online, just kind of some bullet points in that resource center. But church, we got to understand that no matter what state we find ourselves in, the proper response is, Lord, you can have my life, whether I'm married or I'm single. And God, that you would take me and mold me and shape me and use me. If that's your heart, I want you just to lift your hand right where you are, saying, God, use me right where I am. Hallelujah. Let me pray for you this this morning. Lord, I pray for every hand that is raised. Lord, that we would be all in, fully committed, keeping you at the center. Lord, realizing that unless you build our life, our home, we're laboring in vain. If anything else is a priority, God, I pray, that it would become less as you become first. And God, I pray that you would just help us, help us with our identity, knowing that you have us in the place where we are for a reason. God, we give you the praise. We give you all the glory for this in Jesus' name. And Lord, now as we leave, I pray that we would be mouthpieces of this great news, that we'd be a blessing to someone else in our lives that may be single or may be struggling in marriage. God, I pray that you'd go before us, behind us, and all around us. I pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. God bless you. Go in the grace of God this morning. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com.